Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. No bye week this week. The Hokies are back in action, and we will break down the North Carolina matchup to come. We'll also set some season over-unders, kind of resetting from some of the ones we did earlier in the year, uh, and uh, we'll decide how they're going to fare as they enter the, the teeth of the coastal uh, division games here. Andy, first of all, how was your uh, how was your off week? It was good. Got up to uh, Richmond. My sister-in-law had a baby, a little Landon. Oh. was born in advance of the weekend. We went up there. We're seeing some friends of ours who also have little kids. So that uh, was fun. It was it was a nice weekend to get away and actually to watch some football. Like That sounds weird to say because you're like, oh, you cover football. You watch it all the time. But I really watch the Hokies every Saturday. I don't have a chance to sit down and watch uh, a lot of the teams in the country play. So uh, I saw a lot of that Ohio State game, a lot of the USC-Utah game, uh, Alabama-Arkansas. That wasn't much of a game, but I saw some of it. Uh, saw part of Georgia Tech-Miami. So it was a good day of uh, actually sitting back and, and viewing some football for once. Yeah, you'll never be a more in- informed poll voter <laughs> Then when you have a day off uh, or a day that you don't have to, I mean, I, I've done it before and it's been uh, really earth shattering to see that all these, all these plays and how the games actually, without just seeing a score, you know, you see everything. I mean, you can watch highlights, but it's not really the same. Um, I actually did not have the weekend off. I went with Dowdy to Carolina, as, as I mentioned last week and saw Virginia get that victory down there. And I got to say, man, I knew North Carolina was bad. But I didn't know they were this bad. I mean, Fedora is funny because I went to the restroom uh, at halftime and there they had the radio uh, feed on in there, and Fedora was being interviewed as he as he came off the field, and they're like, "Well, what do you what do you need to fix?" He's like, "Everything, <laughs> everything's wrong, everything." And it was like, "Yeah, he, well, it's pretty accurate depiction of what he's what is going on in North Carolina." I, I, I thought when you said that, when, when I went to the bathroom at halftime, Fedora was in the bathroom. He wasn't even coaching the game. That's how bad <laughs> things are. <laughs> it was uh, – I don't know. I mean you look at what happened in North Carolina. There's obviously this laundry list of injuries that they've had this year. That has 19, not helped. I mean it's it's ridiculous when you look at their injury report that they put out, uh, how many guys are hurt. But then you look at the talent they lost from last year's team. I mean they lost – Mitch Trubisky or Mitchell Trubisky, whatever he's known as now, was the number two overall pick in the draft. He was a pretty good quarterback last year. I mean, he broke all sorts of records at UNC. Uh, obviously, very skilled guy to go that high in the draft. Uh, they lost all their major receivers. Uh, I think their top four receivers, Ryan Switzer included, who's in the NFL right now. Uh, uh, their top running back, uh, whose name I'm blanking on right now, but uh, Rodney Hood or Hood, whatever his name was. I, I think Rodney Hood's the basketball player. I think I, I did that before, and Duke fans and North Carolina fans got all over me. Uh, the running back that they lost from last year, whose name is escaping me right now, he was really good. So they lose all that. A couple NFL offensive linemen, I believe, too. Uh, that is a complete overhaul of this offense. And you know North Carolina. It was never a team that could get by on its defense. Usually when you, you sort of lose everything on one side of the ball, you hope the other side can 
uh, hold things together while you're figuring it out. Well, there there hasn't been that basis on the other side of the ball. And in addition to that, they lose Gene Chizik, the defensive coordinator, who you know resigned to uh, spend more time with his family, to legitimately spend more time with his family, not like a uh, you know oh there's some sort of scandal coming down the road. I have to to get out of Dodge before that is, and that's the the token. Uh, excuse people give for resigning. He's actually doing that. He's living in Auburn, watching his son play high school football, living the dad life right now, which, uh, you know, if you're Gene, that's a pretty good life. (laughs) I think he does radio or TV right now. And, you know, he's, he's, you know, put in his time as a coach uh, for many, many years. So he's getting some of that back now. But I think that loses a lot of the stability that was on that defensive side of the ball too. That wasn't that good to begin with, but now is, is not very good as well. So, uh, kind of combine all that stuff together, uh, the loss of talent, uh, the loss of sort of structure on the defense, the injuries that are happening, and you look at it now, and it's it's just a total mess. Virginia had the ball twice as much as, as North Carolina, and I know time of possession doesn't mean a whole lot against the Tar Heels usually because they run such an up-tempo offense, but that contributed as well to the to the shoddy tackling in the second half. I think they were just worn out, and man, that, it, was, it was bad tackling. It was really bad tackling. I was surprised given how poor the quarterback was, Brandon Harris. He was, at one point, I put this on Twitter, he was three for nine for 17 yards and three picks, and his quarterback rating, his efficiency rating, was five, which it makes me wonder what you have to do to get a negative rating or if that's even possible to get a negative rating because that deserved a negative rating. That was awful what he was doing. He, he put up a few numbers in the end there, but uh, they weren't good. I think he finished with a 27 quarterback efficiency rating if he had thrown a fourth pick his efficiency rating would have just been the twitter shruggy guy (laughs) (laughs) that's all it would have been been like all right it's i can't even put a figure on this you know he transferred from lsu and it's not like lsu's quarterback situation is great i mean lsu has that purdue transfer who was not all that good when he was at purdue so uh the fact that he couldn't win the job at lsu and then comes here and you know doesn't really win the job here he's sort of an option uh, along with this freshman chaz surratt uh, it's just not a good situation altogether. I mean, it, I, I would imagine both are going to play this weekend. Uh, if I'm Fedora and you're one and six and lo- looking at, you know, almost impossible odds of making a bowl game, wouldn't you just go with the freshman and just sort of would- take your lumps and be like, all right, this is preparing for the future down the line. I don't really know what uh, throwing Harris out there is going to do for you, except maybe f- make you feel a little bit better, but obviously not because he's not playing that well either. So, uh, you know, maybe it's just sort of an impossible situation that neither option is great right now. Maybe you don't want to uh, completely ruin a freshman's confidence by putting him in there uh, behind a, a shaky offensive line, shaky supporting cast, and, and then it gets in his head and that affects him down the line. I don't know, really, but uh, it doesn't seem like there are any good answers for UNC right now. No pun intended using this particular cliche, but when it rains, it pours because, uh, you know, they had a, a clear face mask penalty at the end of that game get missed that would have prolonged the drive for for North Carolina and given them a shot to win it. But it's one of those situations where when things are going bad for you, things like that don't get called, don't get seen. And it was a, it was a, you know, it was very reminiscent of ECU, you know, where we went up to, we went down to ECU and by the end of that game, it was just like, you know, the, just a smattering of booing, sad people there, you know, and that was, that was what it was like in, in Chapel Hill. And, you know, they had built so, so much momentum early on. And I liked what was your, you had a, 
a line something about that their greatest victory this season was uh, against the NCAA or whatever. And it's academic fraud case. <laughs> right. that, that's about the the best thing that UNC has had going for it. Maybe we should talk about that. Were you surprised by that? I was, but I guess you look into it a little further, and he, the, the, the NCAA was kind of toothless and hamstrung. They, you know, because of their own members making the bylaws the way they did, uh, they didn't really have the power to go back and, and, and do anything. And it, it's just, I mean, you see what the FBI has done, you know, just with the college basketball thing, just making the NCAA look so silly with the fact that they can go in there and make these arrests and do all these things. And you know, the NCAA subpoena power is a, a pretty good tool to have. That's a resource. True. The NCAA is like, we want you to tell the truth, but honestly, there's nothing we can do to you if you don't. Like the only the only hammer they have is if like a a player does not cooperate, they can like suspend them for that or something like that. But if you're like a former player, which is what a lot of these cases are, like you know, if if you're a a, a person who like took a sham class and like you're like, oh, you need to testify, and you're like, nope, I'm good, <laughs> right, thanks, right? See you later. I've got my job to go to now. It's like. You know, I had the feeling, you know, when the, these things first come out, as you always hear the first uh, news of, of, you know, what the allegations are and stuff. You're like, oh, the NCAA is going to hammer that school. It's like, eh, well, Miami is done. They're getting the death penalty. UNC is getting the death penalty. Nobody's ever getting the death penalty. It's always not as bad as it first sounds in terms of what the punishment will be. And in this case, there were like three amended notices of allegations and – like there's back and forth and UNC came back. It's like, you don't even have the jurisdiction that charges. It's like, it was so brazen. The defense that they had is yeah. like, these sham classes were available to everybody, <laughs> not just athletes. Who do you think you are? NCAA. This is, you know, some freshman from doesn't even play basketball could go in and take a no show class and write a one paragraph paper and get an A for it. It's like, like they completely threw their academic reputation under the bus and to save this. I mean, that's that's what it. Like I saw Dan Wetzel, who's like, you know, the best columnist out there, and he wrote something about this. And every time he put University of, of North Carolina, he put an asterisk after University. It's like that's the punishment that they're going to have to endure. Is that this is sort of. Uh, tarnished an, an educational aspect of that school, but I'll be honest, a lot of Tar Heel fans would be like, yep, we'll take that. That's all right. We'll keep the NCAA championship banners, but uh, go ahead, put the asterisks after university. That's fine. Well, it's a, it's a standard columnist line to throw in there. They're selling their soul for sports, you know, and this is a situation where they really are. I mean, they, you know, they're lawyering, they lawyered up and then they basically just said, well, yeah, you're exactly what you said. Well, this was available to everyone. You know, like, okay. You know, and I guess there have been, you know, some, some consequences in the academic realm for, for these people that, that ran the sham classes, but still I, you, you would, you would want to see less, I guess, celebration about this and more solemn, you know, like, wow, this is such a black eye for us. And, you know, even though we avoided penalties from the NCAA because of basically because of technicalities, uh, we're, we're not proud of any of this, you know, but it didn't seem like they they seem to be proud to have won this battle and, well, that was that was the the immediate aftermath of that is you know all these people posting pictures of Rick Pitino with like the fake quotes like quick offer strippers in cash to regular students on, <laughs> on campus too it's like that's sort of what the loophole is in this whole thing isn't it I mean yeah like you you mentioned before the NCAA is an impossible spot because the schools that are being punished by these uh, this you know sanctioning body is also the the schools the schools are in charge of what they are making the rules for so 
it's sort of a weird connection like that. Like, yeah, they want them to come down on these schools, but they don't want them to come down too hard on them. Because yeah. what if you get caught in the crosshairs of that uh, sort of investigation? So, you know, the NCAA takes it on the chin all the time from this. But, but you know, these schools don't actually want the NCAA to be this just – you know, the hammer. I mean, they saw what happened with the death penalty at, at uh, SMU that one time. They've never gone back to it, which was, was so damaging. And there's too much money involved for these schools to actually care about real sort of governance and real policing of, of the dirty stuff that goes on in sports. So, like I said, like I've been saying for a long time, I don't think North Carolina is going to get much of anything. Like, if anything, it might be like a one-year bowl ban. Like, they're not going to get hammered by this. And every time I said it, people are like, "Oh, it's it's the most it's twenty years of academic fraud." I'm like, it sounds bad, but I, I just feel like they're not going to get punished that much. And it ended up they didn't get punished at all. Well, I think the best thing to come out of this is that every time some you know the NCAA punishes some player for getting a free sandwich or something, we'll see that gif of uh, or that gif of of Roy Williams in a lounge chair with his sunglasses on, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just, it just, they, you know, the, the, the hypocrisy is, is, is hard to, to justify, you know, the fact that some of these players are going to get hammered for the little tiny things and, you know, you could just not go to class and, and nothing happened. Well, the irony was that NC state had a basketball player who originally enrolled at Ohio state. Uh, and then the coach quit in June uh, so he transferred, you know, that's the coach he committed to. And he, he's, he resigned at that point. He didn't know what the future was going to be and ended up at NC state. He had already started taking classes at Ohio state before he transferred. So he was deemed to transfer. So he has to sit out a year. So because he went to class, <laughs> he is now being ruled ineligible for this season. And the ruling came out on the same day, like, like an hour after this North Carolina thing did like, if you're an NC State fan, like you're already like jumpy and like like yo know, well, the 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 fix is in with the NCAA and North Carolina, they're gonna protect this school. And then for them to throw this on top of it, like punishing a player for going to class while letting twenty years of academic fraud and, and sham classes go, like you're like like no, I'm not paranoid. This is real. Like the, the paranoia is not made up if this is actually happening. So I mean, it, just the the irony that that was dripping with when that came out with. I mean, that was just too perfect. And it, could you re- wait, like, release that a couple days later? I mean, you know that they they were going to release both those at the same time. Like, does anybody in the NCAA uh, PR department like have a clue about how that might look coming on the heels of each other? What was the old quote? It's like, oh, Alabama did something so bad that Western Carolina is really going to get hammered for this. Oh, I think, I think, something it, was, like that. I think it was Jerry Tarkany is like, oh, the NCAA is so mad at Kentucky. They're going to give Cleveland State two years of probation <laughs> or something like that. That's sort of what it is. I mean, yeah. it, there is the the reputation out there of these big schools that they sort of get off in these situations. They are not punished uh, to the degree that some of these smaller schools that, and obviously the biggest part of it is it comes down to resources and and who can pay to fight this sort of thing. I mean, you know, I tweeted after the result came out, I said, you can't accuse UNC's lawyers of taking bogus classes. Like their lawyers were very good and they paid a great sum of money that, uh, you know, I don't know if they have any you know, Jacksonville State. I don't know if there's any NCAA looking into that or ever has been. But, I mean, the resources difference between those two schools is the reason why a school like North Carolina can fight this and win, where other schools just have to go, eh, we'll just take our medicine and, and move on because it's going to be too costly to fight this. Right, right. Well, how much did the Hokies – moving on to the, the Hokies here, I mean, how much did they need this off week, do you think? 
I think it, it was pretty good for a lot. I mean, you, you look back at how long they've been going at this. Uh, it's been since the first start of August. I mean, it's every week they might have had a day off here and there, but that is a grind. That is all of training camp or preseason camp, whatever you want to call it. Um, getting into the season every week game, uh, maybe a little bit lighter uh, workload in some of those weeks against you know, teams like Delaware and stuff like that. But still going to practice every day and, and having a game every week, I think that wears on you, not only physically but mentally. I think you just sort of need a break. Uh, I know as beat writers, it sure was nice to have a weekend off. I can only imagine uh, if you're actually playing the games what that would be like. But, you know, we asked some guys what they did and – you know, Andrew Matuapawaka said he got a pedicure. <laughs> he treated himself to a pedicure during the week. The I Frank did, Beamer is I strong in him. I did ask if he got a milkshake when he did. <laughs> I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't follow up with that question. Uh, Josh Jackson said he went fishing, uh, you know, took a long nap, and then watched some football on Saturday. Uh, you know, Tim Settle said he's a big guy, so he just laid down on his couch. <laughs> it's like I could relate to that, Tim. I like that. That is a great answer. Uh, I think just not having that game on Saturday is is a big deal. Uh, just you know, I mentioned mental or physically, but I think mentally too, it's just good to get a break like that. And uh, that it came right in the midway point of the season like this. That it came at a time where uh, you look at their skill positions: Cam Phillips, C.J. Carroll, Stephen Peoples, James Clark, uh, Phil Patterson coming back from knee surgery. I mean, that's a lot of skill guys that you really were kind of on the fence about whether they would be able to play on a week-to-week basis. So getting that extra week where they didn't have to really do anything, uh, didn't have to pre- prepare during the week, they could just rest, uh, I think that was a pretty big deal. Obviously, we'll see on the injury report this week on Thursday how healed up those guys are. But I think the the Hokies needed that from that standpoint. Well, some would argue they're getting a week off this week, really. Uh, and Hokie fans don't want to hear that. They want to hear focus and all that. But uh, this is they're they're a 21 point underdog. We looked it up early before we got on this thing. This is the fifth time this season in seven games they've been at least a two touchdown chalk. Uh, this is the fourth time they've been a three touchdown chalk or more. Obviously, that says something about the Hokies and the respect that they get uh, from the people in the desert. But it also says something about the marshmallowy nature of the schedule. Uh, what do we make of the fact that they've been such a, you know, I mean, they've been expected to win everything but the Clemson game, most of it by a lot. Uh, the the lone exception being the West Virginia game. Yeah, it's been a pretty soft schedule. I think that's sort of how it worked out this year. Uh, you get Miami, you get Georgia Tech in the second half of the season. Uh, those are sort of the two big ones. And, and then you look at the Coastal Division. The Coastal Division is down. I mean, uh, after Miami, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Virginia is probably the, the fourth best team. And after that, there's a big drop-off. I mean, Pitt, uh, I guess Duke is, is maybe uh, – Closer to Virginia than you would think, but still not really that good. The offense has really struggled this year. Uh, Pitt's been a mess. North Carolina's been a mess. I mean, those are two of the worst teams in the ACC this year. And that's even even if you include the Atlantic side of the, uh, of the conference with uh, Boston College going into Louisville and somehow scoring 45 points that last week, which I think was uh, more than their previous four games in the ACC. So uh, it, it's really sort of a down year on that side of the conference. You know, in the bottom half, certainly. So that that makes it a little bit easier, uh, schedule wise. But yeah, they, you know, their non conference after West Virginia was really easy. Normally, East Carolina provides a little bit more of a challenge. Uh, last year, you had Notre Dame that was thrown in the mix too. You don't have a game like that. So uh, throw all that together, 
it's been a pretty pretty easy road so far. It's part of the reason why I didn't really move. I I actually jumped Notre Dame past uh, Virginia Tech last week, uh, based on the strength of some of its wins. Uh, you know, they haven't played the strongest schedule Notre Dame, but they did beat Michigan State by twenty. Uh, did lose one. Their one loss was to Georgia by one point, and I have Georgia number two. So I kind of evaluated the whole situation of those two, and Virginia Tech was hurt a little bit by the fact that it hasn't played a little bit stronger schedule. What do we make of Virginia? I mean, I wrote something, uh, you know, my column was basically they have nothing to apologize for. They should celebrate every bit of this. They're 5-1, and 2-0, and oh, and despite all any qualifications you want to throw in there, the fact that they've, you know, won some of these games by the skin of their teeth and, the, you know, North Carolina's bad and Duke was their other win in the ACC, um, you know, UConn stinks. But, you know, they won at Boise. Um, and I think Boise beat a ranked foe this week, didn't San they? San Diego State. Uh, I mean, Boise beat him pretty bad too. Yeah, Boise's a solid, uh, solid win there for sure. Uh, and I, you know, I expected to hear from my, you know, uh, the large percentage of people who follow me on Twitter are, are hokey people, and I expected to hear from them, you know, saying, "Oh, come on, you know, this is ridiculous, you know, slow your roll, all this stuff." I didn't really hear a lot of that. Maybe they were just enjoying their off week, but. Um, do you think do you think Virginia Tech fans and Virginia Tech uh, players might be taking a little bit of notice of, of their rivals and, and what that game might mean at the end of the year? I think I've noticed a little bit more of that and uh, you know comments and message board postings and stuff as people are like you know Virginia is not terrible this year and they have been conditioned to UVA being just sort of a, a joke football wise that you know this team could be a little bit of a threat at the end of the season. I would imagine Virginia Tech would still be favored pretty heavily in that game, but it's not going to be the the walkover that it's been in the last couple of seasons. And, you know, Virginia hasn't made a bowl game since 2011, uh, that Chick-fil-A bowl that it went to against Auburn. Uh, when it's been that long since you've been to the postseason, you take the wins any way you can. I don't care if they're ugly. I don't care if they're by a few points. I don't care if you're playing the dregs of the ACC so far. Wins are wins, and they haven't been something that Virginia has gotten in abundance the last couple of years. Uh, you go 2-10 and ten the last year. If you can make a bowl game this year, I mean, Bronco Mendenhall probably has to be considered for ACC Coach of the Year if they can get that far. I mean, that's a pretty impressive turnaround for a, a moribund program like like the Cavaliers have been. Uh, no, I've been impressed. You know, they got those defensive standouts that have been there over the years but haven't had much help. It looks like they have a little bit more help on that side of the ball. Uh, Kurt Benkert is, is a real capable passer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I question how that offensive line will hold up against a really good pass rush. And, you know, I guess we'll see this week. They play Boston College. That's about as good as a, a pass rush as you're going to get in the ACC. So I'm curious to see how they hold up in a game like that. But they have some receiving weapons. They have a capable passer, and they have a defense that can hold them in there. You know, that, that'll keep you in some games. Yeah, I was impressed with their receiving core. I haven't seen their receiving core be that uh, – deep and, and good uh, in, in a long time. Uh, Banker said something funny to me after the game. He said, he said, yeah, Coach Coach Mendenhall actually said we were a good team. That's the first time we've ever heard him say that. Um, and, and they are kind of moving into a more player-driven model where, you know, I think – uh, Mendenhall feels like he can loosen the reins a bit because he was so uh, such a stickler for every little detail uh, when he first got there. And now th- it's more, okay, you know, we have a little bit of confidence here. You guys take it and run with it and let's see how far we can go this season. I mean, they're, you know, they're looking up at one team in the coastal right now. I know it's early, uh, but they're only looking up at Miami. They're, you know, they're ahead of tech and everyone else right now. So, uh, you know, it might be something you'll have to think about at the end of the season uh, because that, you know, they're, 
they they won they won the game they're supposed to, and I think that was the the one request that most Virginia fans had um, coming into this year is like if you have a chance to get a win, please just do it. You know, I'm tired of seeing them lose games that they they should have won. Well, you look at the rest of the schedule they have. They have BC this week at home at Pitt. Pitt's been a mess. Uh, Georgia Tech after that is difficult uh, at Louisville, and Louisville has been really strange they have not been a very good team this year i know they have the heisman trophy winner and that's always a threat that defense has been horrible uh you know you give up 45 points to a boston college team that you know struggled to score 10 against anybody else uh that's a pretty big red flag uh virginia had louisville beat last year i mean it's a miracle fourth down pass and then a touchdown pass at the end that actually i was kind of surprised they didn't review it it looked like he might have jostled it a little bit as he was coming to the ground i mean they had the cardinals beat last year at uva i would imagine that's a game they had circled on the calendar for a while uh miami and virginia tech is a very tough way to close that season but you know i see three more possible wins on that schedule mm-hmm. I mean, this could be a team that's nine and three if you go from two and ten to nine and three i mean that is an incredible uh, leap in a second year of the program for Mendenhall. I'd, I'd be very impressed if they got to that point. Yeah. Well, I was digging. We were digging deep for some some things to talk about with this Tech UNC matchup, and uh, you noted that there is a matchup of Aussie punters, which is exi- is exciting. The I shouldn't have told you that. Yeah, it's going to be just pun overload on the uh, the uh, Twitter this this weekend. No, it's it's interesting. It's Tom Sheldon for UNC, who's actually leading the ACC in punting. Uh, and Oscar Bradburn for Virginia Tech. They actually knew each other. Uh, they were at that Pro Kick Australia, which is uh, what I'm writing about for Thursday's newspaper. I talked to the guy, uh, Nathan Chapman, who founded that whole thing. Uh, it's an Australian uh, camp that essentially just identifies guys in Australia rules football that could you know, punt in college and then perhaps beyond that. It's really about getting guys into college in the States and, and finding an outlet for them that way. Uh, you know, Sheldon is actually, I want to say 28 right now. He's a little bit on the older side. Bradburn's on the younger side, but Sheldon was finishing up at this camp as Bradburn got there. So there were a couple months overlap there. So they got to know each other. This is kind of an interesting matchup. These two, uh, going up against each other. I think, I think it's the first time the ACC, the two Australian punters have, have faced each other in the game. I don't even know if there's a, the a catch, stat for that somewhere. All, uh, the believed to be. That's yes. our Somebody uh, contact Elias, see if they can look that up. Uh, it's a lot more common than Pac-12. The Pac-12, like half the punters in that conference are Australians. And uh, Nathan Chapman is actually out there. I think he's taken in the Cal-Arizona game or something like that this weekend. Said he's going to try to watch the UNC-Virginia Tech game on on TV, but you know, it's a movement. I mean, they've won the last four Ray guy award winners punters from this Australian camp. Uh, it seems like more and more schools are, are, you know, signing on to go, Hey, this is a pretty good way to find a pretty good punter. Cause you know, Australians pun- kicking is their whole sport. I mean, Australian rules football, that's what it is. It's like something they train and do from a very young age. So it's just a lot more natural to them. They have a lot more skill than, uh, I would say a lot of the American punters. So it, it's really a fascinating, uh, trend lately that they've been going this direction. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching the Aussie punters. I'm also looking forward to watching a certain American this week. Who is that, Aaron? That's right. It's time for the Templeton Minute. Uh, this is one of those games where they're, you know, they they should win handily. And if they do, this could be pimps breakout. 
that's my uh, policy, and I'm sticking with it. I don't know if that'll be the case. I think they get some receivers back this week. I think he might have a small role. I don't know if it's going to be a major role at all this year, though. Okay. Well, I'll be keeping my eye out. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I know if it gets to the fourth quarter and it's a blowout, you're like, all right, give me those field goggles. Time for me to take in a little pimpleton action here, see, see what's going on. I should actually bring my own field goggles this time instead of having to always borrow yours. I'm sorry about that. I've been very – I've got some good ones. we got those ones in Bristol. That's right. Um, all right, let's get to our over-unders. Um, let's start with Trayvon McMillan. He has 279 rushing yards at the moment. He's got, and we're only going to go for the – we're going to basically do the second half of the regular season and, and sort of ignore the bowl game here. Um, but obviously Tech's going to get to a bowl game, so there will be more stats after. But we're, we're limiting this to just the, the regular season. Regular season, no – possible ACC championship game too, just just right. through the Virginia game at the end of the regular season. Yeah, they've played six games, so we're looking at the next six games in totality here. He's got 279. Let's set it at 600. Does he go over or under? Does he finish this, the regular season over or under 600 rushing yards? I will say over. I, I think there is the room there for a higher ceiling than what he's shown so far. Uh, last game against BC was one of, really one of his better ones. I think he had 80-some yards, uh, whatever it was in that game. Had a touchdown. Really the only thing going on the ground for Virginia Tech. Uh, his issue is has been fumbling. And if he fumbles, he gets pulled out of the game, and then you never see him again. He's just you know in the witness protection program for the rest of that game. So uh, if he can protect the ball, I still feel like he is the best ball carrying option for the Hokies. And, uh, you know, Stephen Peoples is very rugged. I don't think he has quite the, you know, breakaway ability that Trayvon has. Uh, Deshaun McLeese hasn't really run the ball a whole lot this year. I thought we'd see more of him at this point. Jalen Holston hasn't quite, uh, you know, sort of gotten things rolling in his true freshman season. Coleman Fox has, has run the ball a little bit, but I don't think he's a guy that the coaches are really turned to uh, in, in sort of the heat of the action. Uh, so I think Trayvon, you know, he's got all the skills there. If he can just put it together, and he's done it before, that I think that he can be the, the primary guy going forward. And I, I think that would be enough to get to 600 yards. I've learned my lesson on this one. I'm going to go under. I, you know, because you look at it and you say, well, all he needs is one of those 140-yard games, and then he's certainly going to get it. Well, I think you're you're right about the there's the trust factor that goes into this. Uh, Stephen Peoples did not was not available during that Boston College game. That's and neither was uh, neither was McLeese, was he? No, McLeese was available. Well, McLeese was okay, but uh, but Peoples wasn't there, and so uh, that's part of the reason Trayvon got the workload. I mean, I'd like to see him get over 600. I know he's stuck through, um, you know, the transition and it's a totally different offense than what he was used to. And I know it's a bummer to get, get basically fired for, for, uh, fumbling the ball and, and put on the shelf for a while. So he, he, you know, he deserves to have something good happen to him, but I'm still going to go under, you know, last game he had 17 carries, which was the second most for a running back under Fuente. And Trayvon had 18 last year against Miami at 17 last year in the rain against North Carolina. Uh, I think that might be a sign that he may be, be getting a little bit more of a workload here. Again, they didn't have people. So that affected it a little bit, but to get to 600 yards, he need to average 53 and a half per game the rest of the way. I feel like that's a very attainable number. Even if your, your touches are limited, uh, you know, if he could get 12 to 15 touches a game, I would imagine him getting to that number. So, 
I don't feel great about saying over, but I, I think like it should have. Like you said, if he has one of those 130 yard games, I mean, I feel like that would be a shoe win to get to the over mark at that point. Uh, I guess it's just a matter of having one of those big games, which is is the point. Right. He needs he needs an 80 yard run or something like that, and then he's off off the races with the with that over. Uh, literally off to the races. <laughs> Jackson, Josh Jackson has 13 touch touchdown passes so far this year. So over the next six games, will he get to 26? Do you think over or under? I will say over. Uh, I feel like this team passes the ball a little bit better than it runs the ball. Uh, even last week against the BC or two weeks ago against the BC team that supposedly was so horrible at stopping the run. Uh, they did sort of stop the run, and Jackson threw for 322 yards. I think they have a few more weapons in the passing game. You know, this is provided Cam Phillips is healthy, uh, provided you know Sean Savoy can you know somehow manage to overcome the personal tragedy in his life. I mean, you don't know how something like that's going right. to affect a guy. Uh, if he continues to play the way he has, though, he's another really uh, great offensive piece to have there. If some of these other receivers come along, Eric Kuma, uh, Phil Patterson can get back healthy. Uh, Dalton Keene had a, a little bit bigger role at Boston College catching the ball. I just think there are some developing talents in the passing game. And, you know, quite frankly, this team doesn't run the ball too well in the red zone, <laughs> like down around the goal line. I think that uh, it might have to pass the ball in that situation to actually score. So uh, I will say over on that. Uh, that's a pretty tepid endorsement of over, though. I'm going to go under. And that goes against what you would think, you know, okay, well, he's new as a quarterback, so he's going to improve as he goes along. And he may very well be a better quarterback and still not throw as many touchdown passes as he did in the first half because, I mean, and, and, and it's also, I mean, he could throw five in this game coming on, on Saturday. I mean, he really could. Um, he, you know, we saw in that Virginia game, uh, you know, just threw a little short pass to Zacchaeus and nobody nobody tackled them. You know, if you get, and, and we know Fuente loves that short passing game and there's, there's potential potential for a lot of big plays out of this receiving core and Jackson on Saturday. But the, the competition level defensively really ramps up here going forward. I mean, Miami plays good defense, Georgia tech, uh, since that Tennessee opener has played good defense. Uh, Virginia, Duke, Duke plays good defense. Duke plays good defense. Uh, Virginia will play, you know, acceptable uh, defense. And I, you know, you're just not going to have the Delawares and ECUs on the schedule other than this week moving forward. Maybe Pitt, maybe Pitt was one of those opportunities to, to light it up. But um, I, I just, you know, I, I think if he's still careful and everything, I, and I know Fuente does not like running the ball. He just doesn't. I mean, it's unless it's a receiver or the jet sweep or something, it's just not. not I his don't think thing. that's true. I think I think he just realizes they're not great at running the ball right now. I mean, if they were a team capable of rushing for 250 a game, he would absolutely run the ball all the time. I just think it's the the makeup of this team that uh, they're a little bit better at throwing the ball right now. They're running. Yeah, I mean, I think, but what we we just said about Boston College, I mean, this is a team that had given up, what, 256 rushing yards a game going into that game. I mean, they were just, you could just trample that that terrible BC rush defense, and they didn't run it. They didn't even try. I mean, it's okay. I mean, it worked. Well, they threw for 322. No, no, like, I, if that's I'm working, not, not, why would you? I'm not criticizing I it, feel like you are. And, and this is incongruent with my underpick, really, on this on what we're discussing, which is touchdown passes. But um, I, I just I, I don't I think it's going to be 
a situation where he, can, he keeps the interception total low. And we'll, we're going to get to the scoring offense later, but I think that's going to go down too. I think it's going to go down slightly because of who they're going to be playing. To hit the over on this, he has to have a little over two a game. I feel that, like that seems easy. I know it? it does. It does when I look at it like that. That's where that's did why he I not get over. any? I guess Clemson. He did he not get any on in Clemson? I mean, I'm wondering where he had one. It feels one like he should them. have more than 13 at this point. You know, just based on some of the scores of these games, maybe some of these drives have been finished by short short runs. Uh, he had one against Clemson, only one against Boston College, and one against West Virginia. Okay, it felt offset, like he had offset more. by five against East Carolina. Okay, it felt like he had more against West Virginia. I guess that's part of it. You know, he had, he had a good good game against. He had a rushing touchdown in that one, okay. and a lot of rushing yards that's too. Right. That's right. Okay. All right, next one. Cam Phillips has 608 receiving yards right now. We you talked about his um, injury situation earlier, which is kind of fuzzy at this point. But we'll set it at 1200 for the regular season. What do you think? I will say under, and this maybe seems like a, a stupid thing to say after I was so, you know, incredibly wrong in the preseason. I think we said it at a thousand and I said under, I'm like, Oh, they'll have special attention paid to him. Uh, I think cam has played so well in the season's first half that I, I wonder if he can keep up that pace. I mean, it's, it's tough to keep up that pace. Yeah. He, you know, he has 600 yards. He only had one catch in that BC game. It was essentially, he did that in five games. Um, I do think teams will pay special attention to him. Like you said, I think there is a lot more uh, difficult pass defenses coming up as well. Maybe we'll face more sophisticated coverages by a lot of these schools. Um, I think it just might be tough to churn out the consistent 100-yard games like he's been doing so far. I mean, to get there, you'd have to have 100 yards every single game going forward. That's a tough thing to do. Uh, I think he falls just short of that uh, for the season. Yeah, this is one we agree completely on. I mean, I had him over a thousand for the season in the preseason. I feel good about that. That's going to happen, I, I, I think. But um, and because we included, you know, bowl <laughs> games and ACC title games if they get to get to that um, in that uh, analysis. But in this analysis, in, based on what you've said and also kind of what I was saying earlier about facing better defenses and all that, which you mentioned there too. Uh, I think this is a this is an under pick all the way. Next up, and the kind of related to that too, I think thirty three point three points per game is what Virginia Tech is averaging right now. Will they finish above or below that number at the end of the year? I think it's below. I think this one's pretty easy to, to say it's going to be lower than that. You're not going to have any teams who are going to score sixty four like you did East Carolina. I mean, that's just a that's a number that's way up there. This is going to completely uh, inflate your your points per game total. If they kept it above 30, I think that'd be a pretty significant accomplishment uh, by the end of the season. But I think, like we mentioned, the, the schedule gets tougher. Uh, you know, the games get tighter. Maybe you're not going all out for points in some of these games, a little bit more careful with some of your play calling in certain situations. Uh, I just think naturally that number is going to come down a little bit. It's just a matter of how far it comes down. Yeah, agreed totally. I, I'm going under as well. And they, you know, they will, I think, be a little more efficient just because of they'll have been together and all that. But uh, just the, the the simple fact of the competition being better uh, is going to make it very hard to get to thirty three thirty three point three for What do you think they can keep it above? I think they'll keep it at probably above thirty one, something like that. I don't remember what they had last year, but last year they were at thirty five. Wow. Thirty five for the season. That's impressive. That is. I mean, that what they that. Tulsa game was 
pretty. Well, that, that was two years ago. Two, <laughs> they're all running together. Who did they play in the bowl game last year? Arkansas. That's right. It was, a, right. Pretty, it was a pretty famous comeback <laughs> they had in that game. I'm not sure if you remember that one. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. I had brain surgery. Don't forget that. <laughs> Okay, anybody? <laughs> Stop using your brain surgery as an excuse, Aaron. Come on. Uh, nobody has more than two sacks, so this will be more of a general one. Um, two and a half. Two Andrew, and a half. Matua Pawaka leads the team with two Mr. and a half. Mr. Pedicure has the leading number of sacks. <laughs> Let's set it at six. Will any, any player on Tech's team get to six sacks by the end of the Virginia game? I think... One person will get to six, and six exactly. I don't think it's going to be a season where you have some guy get to double digits or eight or nine or anything like that. This is a very uh, team-based defense. Uh, it, it's maybe tough for one guy to kind of get going like that and have this huge sack number. They don't really have those, like a Daddy Nicholas or a Kenna Kane him off the edge. You know, they but, have a bell cow. Yeah, they have a bell cow, but it's tough to get sacks from that interior spot. Uh, I think Trayvon Hill maybe has the best chance just because he plays that sort of rush end position. Uh, he's sort of got the most explosiveness off the line, uh, but he'd have to get four and a half here or something in the second half of the season. I mean, it's possible for a guy to get rolling like that or, or Tim Settle. Uh, you know, I think he's a tough guy to block as the season goes on and you're not quite as you're a little bit more tired than you are earlier in the season, especially late in games. Uh, if anybody's going to do it, I think it might be six on the number. I, I would say, Either that exactly or lower. Yeah. That's cheating to say that, but that's the way I'm going. I'm going under two because it just – look, they've played their pin-your-ears-back games, right, where these teams have to throw the ball. They're in huge deficits, and this this Saturday could be another one of those. And so somebody could get two, two-and-a-half in, in this game coming up and, and make us uh, look foolish. But I don't think there's going to be a lot of that. Moving forward, I don't think there's going to be a lot of okay. The Hokies are up two touchdowns here with a, a, a whole half to play, and they're going to have to be throwing the whole time. And Bud can conjure up all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I mean they had a game like that against Boston College, and they had plenty of opportunities at sacks. They just never got the guy on the ground. Uh, Clemson the previous week, they had three sacks in that game, but they probably could have had six. I mean the number of times they had Kelly Bryant in the backfield. ODU, it seems like that guy was running for his life all the time. I think in in this sense, Virginia Tech's defensive reputation kind of works against it because teams know that they're going to come after them. They're going to get a lot of pressure. They're going to call a lot of plays. They're going to be you know three-step drops and the ball is out. Like They're not going to sit back there for a seven-step drop and set up in the pocket and look for some long-developing play because they know it's not going to succeed against this defense. The guy's going to be on his back before he has a chance to look down the field and throw. So um, I think this defense – has a reputation. I think other teams know that and they go into it going, we got to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands and we got to get it out fast. Right. Okay. Overall defense, the scoring defense is very good right now. 13.7 per game. Second in the ACC, I believe. Um, let's, let's assume it's going to go up, but how far? Uh, last year it was like 22. So we'll go somewhere in the middle of that. Let's set it at 17. Do you think they'll finish over or under? 17 points a game defensively. I will say over just because what they're doing right now has been so tough to achieve. I mean, they had two shutouts uh, this season. They played a BC team that uh, is pretty bad offensively, except for last week. Again, <laughs> I keep going back to that. I was, that's how stunned I was by that uh, performance last week. Um, yeah, you're not going to have an, an old Dominion or a, a Delaware on the schedule where you're going to be able to, you know, a shutout helps your average quite a bit. I don't think there's going to be any of that the rest of the year. 
Uh, and I think there are some offenses that are capable. So I, I think it'll go over. I think they might. I think they'll still keep it under 20. Uh, they haven't. They haven't been in the 17 range since 2011. That was the last time they had a defense with that good of a scoring average. So. Uh, that's pretty good. I mean, the schedule gets tougher, but it's not like there's a bunch of offenses on there where it's, you know, the a- ACC is sort of a defensive league this year. Uh, that's really where the strength of the conference lies. They don't have uh, the quarterback power that it did last year where teams were capable of just going up and down the field. So uh, I say higher than 17, but I, I still think it'll be in the teens by the end of the year. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to disagree on this one. I'm going to go under, uh, you know, I, you know, I've trumpeted this defense before the season. Uh, I said, look, you know, every year we say, well, can this be one of the best defenses they've had in, in a very long time or ever? And I said, you know, I don't normally fall into that trap, but this year I kind of did. And I think they're going to, I think they're going to sustain a uh, high quality defense the rest of the way. And I think it'll be enough to keep it under 17. All right. Circle gets the score. I mean, because, you know, you're not looking at just the six games. It's got to be less than 17. You know, you've still got to raise right. it. So I mean, right. all those other games still come into the, the average there. Are you excited about the second half of the season? I, I'm very excited. Just looking at the Coastal, I mean, you've got some matchups that are going to be really great. When you go you got go down to Atlanta and when you go to Miami, uh, the Virginia game in, intrigues me. Uh, Pitt's not what it normally is. But, I mean, it just it, – and it feels like I mean they're they're playing they're in catch up mode already with Miami having three wins in the ACC. Are you excited about this? I, I'm looking forward to that. Well, there's a Miami trip on the schedule, of oh, course. I'm excited uh, for the second. No, it, it'll be interesting. It's it's very interesting how the schedule set up where they played their four non conference games early. They had the two crossover games in the Atlantic after that, the bye week, and then all six of their coastal division games in the second half of the season. So, you know, for a developing team. Uh, one that the, you know, the offense still had to kind of come around. You thought the defense would be good, but, uh, still some new starters there, uh, to be able to have all of its real significant games in the second half of the year. I think that was probably a help. Uh, I mean, this, if they win out, they win the division. I mean, it's, I know they're behind Miami right now, but they still go to play Miami and, and can have a head to head win like that. All the games of the teams that they're going to be looking to beat in some sort of tiebreaker. They still have games like that ahead of them on the schedule. So I think that's the interesting part of it is really anything is possible with this team because all the significant games are right there ahead of them. Well, that's a pretty good segue to your ballot. Uh, I want to know where you ranked Miami because I'm interested how good you think they are. Ninth. And this is how I led my, my, I said, does this top 10 ranking feel a little fraudulent? It does. It does. Doesn't it? I mean, they, I'll give but them credit to, to for be the, honest. So does the Hokies ranking too? Yes, to I, I think so too. A little bit, perhaps overranked. I mean, the, F- Miami had a very nice win against Florida State, and that play that they made at the end of the game was like a legitimate football play. Like it was just you know they threw the ball out, the guy made the play. The one against Georgia Tech was pure luck. I mean, the defender tipped it. It just happened to go right to the guy. The guy still caught it. It caught it in the rain. That's impressive. They still made the field goal in the rain. So you give them credit where credit is due that they won the game, but. It was fourth down, the ball got tipped, and somehow it got tipped right to the receiver for a first down. It felt like they got away with one uh, in that situation. Uh, you know, I picked Georgia Tech to win that game. I was a little upset. I thought I had that one on. The, uh, this is an upset special. The potential is so high in this one. Uh, then it didn't happen. Miami won. So I'm a little bit Take the hesitant. I'm a little bit hesitant uh, with the Canes. I think, you know, based on what their record is, they're deserving of a top 10 team. I wonder if they're top 10 talent or uh, a top 10 team going forward. 
uh, with the rest of the schedule. You know, Wisconsin, I kind of feel the same way about it. Uh, I had Wisconsin ranked eighth. Uh, I actually have Ohio State ranked fifth, which you know I caught a lot of flack for that. I have them ahead of Oklahoma, which beat them. Uh, but I just think Ohio State has looked so good since then against bad competition, admittedly. But just it seems like they're just sort of getting in the full throttle mode. That I, I think just you know the eye test. I think Ohio State is a better team right now than uh, even a team that beat them a couple weeks ago, Oklahoma, which has struggled a lot since that game. So that, that's sort of where I'm coming from in that ranking. Uh, obviously this will all be proven whether Ohio state's really that good against Penn state coming up, but I do have them ahead of Wisconsin too. And I, I actually got an email from somebody. It's like, uh, basically like, uh, do you know anything about Wisconsin? Could I tell you a few facts about the Badgers? I'm like, I'm a Wisconsin graduate. I, I keep some tabs on the Badgers more than that was basically my response. I was like, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the team, but thank you for the email. I appreciate that. Uh, he did not like the fact that I didn't move them up very much, but they've not beaten a team that uh, has a winning record this year. I think uh, uh, you know beat Purdue last week, seventeen to nine. I know they dominated them in yardage, but they had a lot of turnovers and stuff. Miami and Wisconsin are two undefeated teams that I'm still not quite sold on. That I think I'm going to put them in the top five or anything like that. Well, everything I said about Virginia earlier, where you know, hey, you take a win any way you can get it, and you should celebrate it. I, that doesn't apply to Miami. I mean, you know, Florida State, as as Teal pointed out this week to us via email, you know, Florida State is last among Power Five conferences in in scoring average. This was an opportunity with with the way their you know that series has gone over the last seven or eight times, whatever it was, for Miami to go in there and drill the the reeling Seminoles, and they needed a miracle to win that game. And I know, you know, it's probably they feel like, well, it's just a monkey off our back and however when you can get that. But as a as a neutral, like outside observer of that result, I'm like, that's not a very good that's not a great result. You know, like Florida State's not that good. I mean, they're not as good as we thought. Yeah. Um, it's it's really living off its name this year. I mean, they barely beat Wake Forest on the road, they barely beat Duke on the road. And those are two improved teams, but those are two teams that you would expect Florida State to go in there and beat them pretty badly. It's just that their quarterback situation is so young and inexperienced that uh, it sort of overshadows anything else uh, that might be good on that team. Yeah. Uh, and plus Miami lost Mark Walton for the year. I mean, they had Mark Walton, the star running back for that some of that Florida State game, if not all of it. I can't remember exactly when he got hurt. He's out for the year, and that is a major part of this offense. They don't really have more running backs to take his spot or that many experienced guys or guys that have done it before. Uh, it puts more pressure on that young quarterback or inexperienced quarterback to go out there and make plays. I just I have a lot of legitimate questions about the Canes going forward, and I think that Virginia Tech game at Miami will be fascinating. I think Miami plays them and Notre Dame in back to back weeks or something like that. I, I'd have to look that up. They have a, a tough schedule. A no, tough Hokies stretch had there. that, and then they have Atlanta. I mean, that's two two huge trips back to back. Where do you have the Hokies? Fourteenth. I have them thirteenth. Uh, moved up, I uh, have them behind Notre Dame, and everybody's like, oh, Notre Dame had the better bye week than the the Hokies did because they both had an open week last week. I'm like, well, sort of. I mean, Clemson lost. That makes Virginia Tech's one loss at home look a lot worse. Michigan State is now ranked. That makes one of Notre Dame's wins look really good. Georgia's up to number two in, in my poll and number uh, two or three in the actual polls. Notre Dame has a one-point loss to that, so... Uh, yeah, I would say Notre Dame has the better loss of the the one loss that both those teams have. And looking at the the wins, they have the better win of the two teams that they have. So 
Uh, I shuffled those around, and uh, right now Notre Dame is ahead of Virginia Tech. What do we make of Clemson losing to Syracuse? It happens. I mean, I was watching that game, and in that first quarter, the way the Syracuse came out, I'm like, this feels a lot like that Virginia Tech game last year, where it's like, okay, Syracuse came to play. And if Syracuse comes to play in that dome and can get a lead on you and can wear you down with that the way that that offense plays, and I realized Clemson's quarterback was not what he was. He was not 100%, and he then got injured. Uh, I don't know if it was a result of him not being 100%, but – uh, Clay wasn't the same Clemson team that came into Virginia Tech and won because the quarterback wasn't all the way there. Uh, but Syracuse does that. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a tough place to play. And I, I think a lot of Hokies fans were actually uh, maybe glad to see that happen, even though it hurt uh, the loss that the Hokies had, uh, because another team went in there and struggled the way that they have over the years in the carrier dome. It's like, oh, it's not just us in this situation, they, they were saying to themselves. So uh yeah that was a pretty impressive win i watched that whole thing uh start to finish and i'm like this feels a lot like that Hokies game last year and sure enough the result was the same yeah i watched the first half and i was flipping over with baseball too and uh couldn't make it through the whole game i was stunned to wake up and see that the actual final score was uh in in syracuse's favor but you know that just does show you i mean it's a there's a lot you know, there's some parody in this league this year for sure i guess fuente said he didn't think anybody and he said he qualified it by saying someone might emerge as a, as a super team, but he doesn't see one right now in the league. I'm not sure if he was referring to the entire league or just the coastal. coastal. Yeah. The coastal certainly overall, I think Clemson still has the potential. I mean, everybody's like, oh, this knocks Clemson out. It's like, no, it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, they, they won the national title last year with a loss in November. So uh, they obviously can work their way back up there. Uh, it's interesting, though, that NC State is in the driver's seat and the Atlantic Division and Miami is in the Coastals. Like These are two teams that have never won the division. Uh, and that's a, a championship game that nobody would have predicted uh, coming into the season, probably. Maybe maybe somebody might have. You know, Miami was the pick in the Coastal. And somebody might have gone off the board and said NC State. But I think anybody picking outside of Clemson, Florida State, and Louisville, you would have been like, what are you thinking? Right. In the Atlantic Division, sure enough, here are the Wolfpack leading the way. And, of course, the game is back in Charlotte this year, so those hungry Wolfpack fans would really, really eat that up if they could get in that game for sure. And, uh, you know, if they were to face the Hokies, you would you would have to think the Hokies would be facing uh, maybe a hostile crowd down there, even though their their fans will travel for sure. Yeah. Uh, that's, get, that's getting way ahead of, ahead of things, of course. All right, let's get back to this week's game and give our predictions. Andy, the line is 21. Who covers? Who wins? Who covers? I'm going to go with Virginia Tech barely covering. Uh, I'm going to say 38 to 13. That's barely covering, right? That's 25. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll take them barely covering. Like, like you said, I don't think North Carolina is very good. Uh, I think Virginia Tech is good enough offensively. I think you'll see more of that this week. Uh, the UNC defense is not the caliber of even what BC was last week. And I think Virginia Tech could have scored some more points if it was a little bit sharper in the red zone. So uh, I like the Hokies comfortably in this one. I agree. I'm going to go even further. Uh, 45-17, I think. And, you know, if North Carolina wasn't named North Carolina, you'd be like, this is Delaware. I mean, they're they're I mean, they're not Delaware, but man, with all their injuries, they are not good, and their confidence is in the toilet. Um, if, if Virginia Tech doesn't come out and womp their heads real good, as Frank famously said in a telegram back in the, <laughs> in the 70s, then, then this is uh, this is problematic for Tech because they need they need to really coming off a bye or an, an open week, just just drill them. I think. No, 
it'll be good to get back covering the game. It will. And we'll be there to cover it all. You can follow it all on Roanoke.com, and we'll be back next week to break it down and move on to – who do they play next week? They've got Duke, right? Uh, yes, Duke. Okay. Another home game. Okay, we'll break that down next week. And we appreciate you joining us this week. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. We will see you next time.